The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes, an honest, open, frank conversation about gambling addiction. Joining me as always, Dan Trelaro with Epic Risk Management. Danny's out in Indianapolis for an NCAA convention talking about gambling education for students, which is great. And we're very happy to have from Philadelphia today, uh, Maddie B. Maddie, uh, like myself and Dan, is a compulsive gambler. Dan, first to you. Good morning, and how are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Good morning. How are you today? Doing great. Matt, thanks so much for joining us as well. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and thanks for having me. Really grateful for the opportunity to speak on this. So. Sure. How long have you uh, gone without gambling? Uh, September 6, 2019. So this upcoming September will be three years without a bet. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. Very proud of you for that. It must feel pretty good, huh? Yeah, it feels great. Really was able to change my life dramatically, so I'm really proud of myself as well. Yeah, yeah you should be. Let's go back in time a little bit, if you don't mind. When, as far as you can recall... When did you uh, start gambling? Before it became a problem, when it was recreational, fun, et cetera, when did you first start? Yeah, it's, it's a great question and interesting one. I had, uh, you know, done the step work with my sponsor, and one of the worksheets makes you write an autobiography about your gambling history. And going back and doing that, I looked like maybe when I was 11 or 12, I remember being at camp and playing poker. I think that's really when I started gambling and kind of started getting that itch for it. And then it just kind of progressed from there. I remember being 14, 15, and everything we did really revolved around gambling, whether it be playing basketball, playing video games, all that stuff. If we could put money on it and make a wager, we did it. And do you remember at that age, would money actually exchange hands, or was it more like talking smack? No, money would exchange hands. Obviously, when we were so young, it's nominal amount, but money would exchange hands, and I realized, from a young age, looking back on it, that I was placing money on things that I was far inferior to the people I was playing, whether it's a sport or a game, but just that rush and that ego associated with saying, I'm going to play you in this and play you for money. It just really got me going. I say that all the time, Dan, even if you're not an egotistical person, there is a major ego component to becoming a compulsive gambler. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not not only are you exercising your, your will and your power and that control over another person, especially if you're playing poker, you're also taking their money. <laughs> money is very personal. And, and what we know about gambling addiction, it's not about the money. It's a more of an emotional issue. There's something that just drives and fuels the ego when you're competitive. You can beat another person and then you're winning something that's theirs. Uh, it, it just It's the perfect recipe. So in your teen years, you're doing that. And obviously in the moment, I assume you don't recognize, you know, that you're making wagers that you're not going to win because you're inferior to whatever the, you know, the, the game that you're betting on. You know, you're looking at that now with great clarity, which is awesome. How soon into your college years do you think gambling really became a problem for you? Um, my freshman year is when I really started to bet on sports, but I don't think that I crossed that invisible line until the fall of my sophomore year. That was when someone had approached me that their brother ran an offshore site and that I could bet on credit. And once I started being able to bet on credit, it was like game over for me. I could just start clicking buttons. And the fact that I didn't have to put the money down up front, it was like at that point, you know, three weeks after 
first betting on credit, I lost every penny that I had. And six months after that, I was trying to fervently, you know, pawn off my material items to pay back bookmakers. Yeah, I was just saying that, you know, just based on the immaturity of being a sophomore in college, there had to come a point where you didn't have the money you owed. And I wonder, other than, did you borrow at some point from friends and family? Did you make really bad decisions and try to get money other ways? Like, how did you handle that? You know, I was, it was a good question. I was so young that every time I really needed a bailout, someone would be there to pick up the pieces. But I, uh, I had manipulative ways, which I could really convince people to give me money. And I would lie, obviously, compulsively that I needed money for books or I needed money for food and stuff like that or social events. And that money would really be used to bail out and pay back bookmakers. Yeah, I mean, I'll never forget. There's a kid I went to college with. This is and this is before you know I had a problem. Um, and I'll never forget. Um, he always used to go try to get Discover card credit cards because mm. Discover card. This I'm talking about. You know, in um, the late '80s, early '90s, they would give you ten thousand dollars. You know, cash advances uh, if you got if you qualified for a Discover card. So he would go get a Discover card, take out the ten grand cash advance to pay yeah. off the you know the, the school bookie, and then he'd worry about paying it back at some other point. But uh, it didn't dawn on me until you just said that that I've witnessed that before. So, at what point did gambling for you become everything? Your whole world, like all encompassing, where you started, you know, exhibiting the behavior where nothing else mattered, where you might be hiding in a bathroom on your phone making a wager where gambling was everything. Yeah, I think it was pretty soon after starting to bet on credit with bookmakers, I would say that I started gambling every single day and it became all-encompassing where it would be the first thing I would think about when I'd wake up and look at lines and I would do it every single day that I had access to capital, I would I would place a bet. But obviously, it progressively got worse and the things I was doing um, my sophomore year of college compared to what I was doing my second year of law school, they're just not even not even close to how bad and the depths of my misery got as I progressed further into compulsive gambling. Did anyone ever question you about it? Hey, Maddie, you're not acting the same way. Hey, what's going on? Uh, hey, you with, you know you withdrawn. You're quiet. You're this and that. Did anyone ever call you on it? Even if they didn't know it was gambling, did anyone in your life ever say what's going on? Not really, and I think this is one of the, the the dangers of compulsive gambling is that we we don't exhibit you know side effects like nodding out or falling asleep at the Thanksgiving table and stuff like that. It's really truly a closeted addiction. People had yeah. no idea. I could put on this front, I could manipulate, and I could lie that I was this well put together kid. Like academically, I was still doing well, and I got a full scholarship to law school. And people thought that I was doing fantastic. They had no idea what really was going on on the inside and what I was doing in my daily affairs. And, and Dan, that kind of feeds us, yeah. right? The ability to stay in that yep. cocoon without anybody yep. knowing what we're doing? I, I'm just I'm just kind of chuckling inside, thinking about how much time we spend in isolation. You know, at Thanksgiving table, I'm not at the table falling over. I'm in the bathroom for an hour, putting the bets in. And, you know, just doing what I need to do in my own cocoon. And that, and that fuels us. You know, it's, it's that isolation. You know, we know addiction in general is, is isolating in nature. You know, it lets us just be in our own minds and our own thoughts. You know, we, we, from a gambling perspective, you know, I used to wake up, Matt, in the first thing in the morning, too, because I like that solitude where I could open up sports pages and start looking at odds and lines. And they weren't what I thought they should be. And you start handicapping. And before you know it, it's like two and a half hours have just passed. And I've done nothing but think about gambling. And it, 
And it was something that felt good and something that you just kind of like build on and just enjoy day after day. But it progressively starts to just dominate your day. And Craig, you've said before, the amount of mental free space you have now in recovery, not thinking about that is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there, there's some days I don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> I spend so much time. You know, and it's uh, you spend time, it's who am I betting on? What am I betting on? Where do I have the money? How much am I betting? If I lose this, yep. where am I going to get the money for the next bet? You know, and it's, and it's a never-ending cycle. It's really ugly, and it's uh, dangerous, of course. Matt, what was your, I don't want to say come to Jesus moment, but, you know, a lot of us have that, you know, this was the last time because it was a terrible loss or something happened. Do you remember the final or the worst day, the bottom of the barrel moment for you? Uh, yeah, I uh, on a it was a random Wednesday. Had one of the biggest scores of my whole entire life, and then you know I was in so much debt at the time. I I, I couldn't afford to lose that money that I hit on that Wednesday. And by Sunday, every single penny of it was gone, and I maxed out the accounts and owed the bookmaker. And at that point. I had already five or six credit cards that were maxed out. I've already been bailed out. There was literally nowhere for me to turn. I couldn't pay my rent or any of that stuff. So I had to turn to my parents and say, listen, this is what's going on. I need to get help. And at that point, they you know, showed me the door to Gamblers Anonymous, and the, and the rest was kind of history. And was it, was it cold turkey when you finally came to your mom and dad? I want to go into that moment, if you don't mind, in a second. Did you gamble at any other point after that? Was it legitimately, that's it, I'm done, and you were done? Oh, yeah, it was not cold turkey at all. I gambled for another right. six months, at least. Every I, I made meetings every single week, and every single week I was still so in the throes of it that I would lie to everyone that I wasn't gambling. And then I was clean for a while and then uh, dipped my toes back into it and started messing around. Uh, I was primarily a sports better, but right. started messing, messing around with the cryptocurrencies and stuff and changed my date because of that and, and now now I finally got it and have been clean for two years. Well how do you why do you th- how do you think you finally got it? You know, because we, we, we all have our own journey. Like I've told the story many times on the show. You know, I went to rehab for two weeks and I had the epiphany at rehab that I had a problem. And I you know I have this great debt of gratitude to the men and women I met there because without them I never would have admitted I had a problem. And I literally came home from rehab and I went to a casino two more times. And then I was done. So I'm wondering why you ultimately said, okay, I'm done this time. I just felt at ease and at home when I was in meetings. I knew even when before I, before I stopped gambling and was still going to meetings and continuously gambling, I knew I had to be there. I just felt at place and at ease. And when I read those 17 pages of that yellow book, everything it talked about was a reflection of my life. And subconsciously and consciously, I knew that I had to stop eventually or I was going to be like everyone else, you know, on the street somewhere making a total muck of my life. So, Well, life has turned around for the better. We're going to hear that part of the story as well in just one second. It's hello, my name is Craig, Craig Carton, Dan Trelaro, and Matty B. Right after this on The Fan. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Craig Carton, Dan Trelaro, and uh, happy to have Matt with us. Matt's in Philly, and we got to a point now where, you know, even though you went to GA, you're still gambling, and then you had that moment where you said, okay, I'm tired, I'm, I'm done, and you really were done. But before we get to the good stuff now, I think it's important, and one of the purposes of this show, or at least my goal of the show, Matt, is that we try to humanize the addiction. 
you're a regular guy from Philly. You went to college. You you got into law school. Everything seems on the outside like it's you know a great American success story, and you're hiding this terrible secret, and you have this addiction that you don't want to share with anyone. When you first went and sat down with your mom and dad, and I don't care about the amount of money, it's irrelevant to me, and you said to them, hey, I've got a gambling problem. If you don't mind, can you walk people through what that was like, and as you look back on it, what do you think it was like for them? Yeah. Um, fortunately, my parents have been immensely supportive. My mom is in her own 12-step program, and my father is a psychologist, so I think he has a pretty good baseline understanding of addiction. I remember vividly sitting them down on a Sunday and just, you know, crying like I was a five-year-old who, you know, got put in time out. I just, I couldn't control myself and my emotions. It was just such a, I just had been bottling up so much pain. That's really, as I have a deeper mm -hmm. understanding of what my gambling addiction was, it, it never had anything to do about the money. I had a life problem and gambling was my vessel to avoid life. And when I came clean, I could really finally admit that and kind of go from there. Unfortunately, like I said, my parents have been uh, on my side of this the whole time. So. Uh, and, and even though you well, gambled after that, that moment had to be really liberating for you. It just got the monkey off my back. Yeah. That's exactly it. Like, I, I knew that Gamblers Anonymous existed. I, I, I started making meetings. My parents were aware of my problem and stuff. And, and I struggled for a while after that. But... Exactly. I knew that the ball was rolling at that point. So. Yeah, and Dan, we talk about yeah. that. There's uh, kind of like a built-in guilt or shame. But once, the, I, I, and I said it in my own life experience, once I was able to own it and tell somebody that I had a problem, like life, that moment, not perfect for sure, but it does start getting better at that moment. It does. The weight gets lifted off the shoulders. You know, this this terrible secret we've been carrying around and full of so much shame and guilt and all these mixed emotions we don't know how to deal with. We're bringing it all to the surface. And, and you know, there's a couple of things that go on, right? We're now releasing that, and it feels really good. But we're also now releasing that onto other people who are totally blindsided. And it doesn't feel so good for them. And that's why, Craig, you and I talk a lot about both on the air and off the air about resources and helping family members who find out. And, and you know, it feels really good. And, Matt, you just said something that really resonated with me. You said, I didn't have a gambling problem. I had a life problem. And you know what? That really hits home because a lot of times people gamble or drink or drug for, for various reasons. It's because they don't know how to cope with things. They don't have proper life skills. It's problems in their life. And the way you just said that was just spot on. So, Matt, let's talk about the good stuff. Uh, you've gotten help. You haven't gambled in a couple years now, so that's awesome. And for those people, I always talk about, you know, people that I'm really sensitive to, which are people that are you two years ago. You know, day one, willing to admit you got a problem. But, you know, life is dark. The walls are caving in. And there's this belief of I'm never going to get out of this hole. How would you, uh, if you had a chance to sit down with yourself two years ago, or a kid, you know, a young 20-year-old kid, who's now looking at day one, who knows he has a problem and doesn't know what to do, and is afraid that life's never going to get better, what would you tell that kid? I would tell them that, at least from my own perspective, I was so scared to give up gambling because it was such a security blanket and such a crutch for me. And I, I, I felt so overwhelmed by this idea of never having to gamble for the rest of my life. But I would just tell them that really by you know, abstaining from gambling and getting into the program. It's such a freeing and liberating tool, and it will allow you to have a life that's 
properly oriented in a life that you can be proud of and your family's proud of. Yeah. Uh, and that's well said. And Dan, that's, that's a key part of the messaging. Like I know you're in Indianapolis talking to, uh, you know, uh, college kids, which is a, you know, a huge wave of new gamblers right now because of the legalization. And I think that's a message that, you know, young people do need to hear that, Hey, none of us are perfect. And if gambling becomes, you know, your, you know, kind of cross to bear, other people have walked a mile in your in your steps before, and there is a way out. Yeah, and, and that's part of what we're doing out here. It's, it's connecting with both the, the student-athlete as well as the decision-makers, the compliance, the athletic director, to say, listen, gambling is growing across the country, so we need to stay ahead of it by providing some some education, some resources, some knowledge for your student-athletes, and also letting them know that life does get better. You know, you're hearing from people like myself and some of my colleagues that life does get better when you stop gambling if you have a problem, right? Because a lot of times also the college student is not 21 yet. If you, if you think about college, two and a half years, maybe three years, you're not even of legal age to gamble on some of these products. But they're still doing it anyway. We, we know it's still being done. So just if you do develop a problem, know where the resources are, be brave, have the courage to say, yeah, I think I need some help, and take those steps. But, but also what we try to do is try to help reduce the harm or uh, lend more to prevention of gambling-related harm before it becomes problematic. Well, I appreciate both of you guys' time. Matt, thanks. Congrats again on the two years. Keep it up, buddy. We're all proud of you. And uh, I think the more people like you that, that share their stories, the easier it will be for future generations of gamblers to get help before you know, they get in the spot that we've all been in. So thanks so much for sharing today, and have a great weekend. Absolutely, and just want to say thanks for having me on. I think uh, what you guys are doing here is, is tremendously powerful, so keep it up, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Be well. Thank you, All right, so, Dan, there's Matt, uh, and it's great talking to you know the younger generation of gamblers, especially kids that have been through it and have now figured uh, kind of their crap out and are on a good path going forward because that's a lot of our biggest fears that it's um, not, not that we're not worried about it, but you know, the 45-year-old gambler, uh, may have it figured out. It's the kid that's now going to gamble for the first time and be enthralled yeah. with the excitement of gambling and, hey, maybe even as a big win early on. Those are the kids we're most worried about. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and I think I've referenced in the past, we worked with Seton Hall about a year ago doing a, a small small size study. And when you look at the age range of like 21 to 25-year-olds, they just don't see gambling and sports betting as a form of gambling. They see it as a fun time. It's, it's a social interaction. It's easy money. I, I saw a number of responses on the survey where the, the individual indicated that sports wagering is easy money. Right. And that's the concern, Craig. You're right. It, it, they don't see the risks. Yeah, well, listen, it's not going anywhere. So the more shows like this that we can do and the more kids like Matt we can talk to, uh, the better. Enjoy the rest of your trip in Indy. See you when you get back. And as always, I uh, appreciate your time, Dan. Thanks so much. Thanks, Greg. Have a good one. That's Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. Evan Roberts is next. He and I are back, of course, Monday again at 2 o'clock as we will break down all the playoff games from the NFL and get ready for Championship Sunday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.